has anyone ever known one of those people that just seems unflappable? You know, no matter what you do, they're calm, they're cool, nothing seems to faze them, and they never get excited about anything. They're really laid back. My dad's like that. Nothing ever fazed my dad. You know, a house could be burning down, and he'd be like, yeah, we probably ought to think about leaving now. You know, that's the kind of person my dad is. And we all know somebody like that. And too many times, I think we're that way with our faith. We're that way with the Lord, with the Bible. We get kind of laid back, kind of like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll take care of that someday. You know, we, we, we lose that sense of urgency, that sense of purpose, that sense of this is something important and I need to take care of it. And that's what I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning talking about. Our sense of urgency. Why we need to have that sense of urgency. Some areas that we need to be urgent about. And some examples we have in the Bible of people who have been urgent. At some, this, this story is a little bit old little bit dated, but I was talking to a guy at work once, and it's not the current election, but it was an election or two ago. And uh, in the course of the discussion, he, and he said, well, I'm voting for this fella because he is the, he's the candidate for the common man. And that was his phrase, the common man. And, uh, and I said, well, that's great. So what do you like about him? Well, He's the candidate for the common man. I'm like, that's great. So what is he, what, what's his platform? What, what do you think that, uh, what's he going to do that's going to help you? Well, he takes care of the common man. And after a minute or two, uh, we kind of finally ended the conversation with, he was going to go off and vote for his common man fella. But it was very obvious that he had no clue what this guy believed in. He had no clue that if elected what this guy was going to push for, what he would be in favor of, what he'd vote for, what he'd vote against. He had, uh, he had been told that this was the candidate of the common man and that's who he was going to vote for. Too many times that's how we are. We're like, yeah, I go to church because uh, that's what I've always done. Ever since I was a kid, that's what I've done. Well, that's great. Why do you do it? Well, what I've done. Well, now, why do you believe certain things? Well, what mom taught me. What dad always did. Too many times in our search for the truth, we lack a sense of urgency. We're willing to accept what somebody tells us. We're willing to accept what our parents tell us, or what our grandparents or our friends tell us, or we're willing to accept just what we've always assumed to be true without urgently doing any searching, without urgently questioning or having a sense of urgency and that we need to know what the truth is. 
In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23, we're told to buy the truth and not to sell it and wisdom and instruction and understanding. In Acts chapter 10, a very familiar story to many of us, about a centurion named Cornelius. Of course, centurions were, were fairly uh, important in the Roman army, men who had worked their way up, men of some authority and some position. And in chapter 10 of Acts, in verse 2, we learn that Cornelius was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. And in verse 3, at the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devoted soldier and from among those who waited on him continually. And when he explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. And after Peter comes and arrives back at Cornelius' house, in verse 33, Cornelius is relating to him that he sent for him immediately. Now, understand... In today's age, you know, if we've got some immediate need or something, we pick up the phone, we get on the computer, we get our iPhone and, and email somebody or Google something. I mean, we're, we're a society where everything is very easy, easily accessible. But understand that when Cornelius sent these men to Joppa, it was a two-day journey to get there. Okay? And that's not just getting in the car and going. That he's got to set up men with provisions. They've got to have food for a couple of days. They've got a soldier with them to protect them because on the road you're likely to come across robbers or bandits who are going to take everything you've got and beat you senseless and leave you dead. So you've got to have some protection. You've got to have money to pay customs or duties to the local, uh, local little kingdoms you're going to go through because they're all going to collect their travel tax or their commerce tax or whatever. This is not an easy undertaking. This would be like somebody calling you up and saying, hey, I need your help, and you've got to go get in the car and drive to California. That's not something you undertake lightly. It's not a trip to Kroger. But Cornelius understood the importance of, of the truth. He knew that he didn't have it. He knew where to get it. And he knew that this was so important that he was going to dispatch these men on this potentially dangerous journey, this expensive journey, to get this man he didn't know who was going to come and tell him the truth. How important it was to Cornelius. In Matthew chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, again, it's not something we understand real well in our society. You know, if you don't like your job, you know, monster.com and you go find another one. And even if you have to move, you, you know, you kind of get your plan laid out. And it's like, well, I'm going to move here. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to live here. You know, the company's giving me a moving allowance, so I'm, I'm okay for a couple months. So I find a house. You know, these are guys that they found the truth. They didn't understand it, maybe. They didn't know everything, but they knew that this fellow named Jesus was the truth, had the truth, he was from God, and they just left everything. They left their livelihood. In the case of James and John, they left the family business. They left their father. This is not something that they're like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, I get off at five, let me go home, grab a bite to eat, and I'll meet you down at the, at the sea, sea, uh, the shore there. And you can uh, you can tell me what you have to say. This was something they understood that was important. And it was more important than anything else they had to do. So they dropped everything and they went with them. Okay? It's a sense of urgency. It's a sense of importance. They knew where to find the truth, and they were going to get it. The question for us is, do we have that same sense of urgency? Do we care enough about the truth to make it the most important thing we're looking for? Once we know the truth, do we know the importance, the urgency of obeying that truth? Okay, that's what the thought is. In Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. <coughs> Apostles are in jail. They've been preaching Jesus. Paul and Silas are there and, and, and they're in prison. They're singing. They're praying. And then there's the earthquake back in verse 26. The foundations of the prison are shaking. Immediately the doors are open and everyone's chains are loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoner should bled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like a pretty, pretty average story. And a fellow who hears the truth, he says, okay, I know this is what I need to do. Brought my family and they've heard the truth. We're going to obey the truth now. But you have to remember, this is not like it is today. He, this fellow did not have freedom of religion. Okay, we, we kind of expect that in our society. We've got the freedom to do or to believe what we want. 
you know, they can't punish me at work for coming to services on Sunday. But at this time, this jailer could not only be punished for helping these prisoners, he could be killed. And not only him, his family. I mean, the Roman persecution hasn't really started yet, but there's certainly persecution from the Jews, and certainly the Romans are not known for their kindness or their tolerance or their generosity. They're known for being ruthless. This Philippian jailer, this man, understood that obeying the truth, that doing what he's doing could not only cost him his job, his position in society, and not only his life, but the lives of his family. But he understood that something was more important. He understood that he had found the truth. He had heard the truth. And he needed to obey the truth. It wasn't something that's like, okay, i got to get out of my job first. got to settle my affairs to make sure that you know, I leave this job and I'm going to protect my family. I've, I've got to do these other things first. He went that night with knowledge that he could have very serious consequences, and he obeyed the truth. You turn back to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 and starting in verse, in verse 15, this parable that Jesus teaches. You know, this man has his supper. Created the, he's made this huge feast. He's, he's worked hard. He's got this feast. He's invited all these friends. And he sends his servants out. And he says, hey, go call my friends. I've got this great meal I've made. And I want them to come to, come to this feast and, and celebrate with me. So his servant goes out. And, and we all know the story. You know, he goes to one fellow and he's like, no, I've got a new wife. I can't come. Here goes the other fellow. I've got a piece of land. I can't come. I've got, you know, a new team of oxen. I've got all these excuses. I can't make it. But I want to look at the master's response here. In verse 21, the servant came back to his master and reported these things. And the master of the house was angry. Okay? Well, you know, we, we talk about this parable and... Um, you know, talk about excuses for obeying the truth or excuses for not obeying the truth and, and what's more important. But look at the master's response to these people who did not understand the urgency. They didn't understand what was important. The master was angry. He was angry. When we know what the truth is, and we're hesitant to act on that, we're hesitant to obey it, do you think God's going to be less angry with us? Do you think the consequences are going to be less severe for us when we know what the truth is and we just we have that, we've lost that sense of urgency? In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, Jesus tells us that only those who don't look back are fit 
for the kingdom of God. Obedience to God has to be the priority. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Jesus tells us a story about a pearl of great price. Worth selling everything that you have to get. Obeying the truth is something we need to have a sense of urgency about. Excuse me. So we have, we know what the truth is. We've found the truth. We've sought it out. We've obeyed the truth. We understand that. But do we understand that that's not the end of it? We need to have a sense of urgency in showing godly works. In Acts chapter 9, very familiar story. Paul is on the road to Damascus, blinded by a light. Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul goes into the city. And a disciple named Ananias comes and teaches him. And in verse 18, as Paul receives his sight back, and in verse 19, talks about Paul spending some days with the disciples in Damascus. And in verse 20, we read that immediately, Paul preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who were amazed, and all who heard were amazed, and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Paul didn't sit back and take time to study. I'm sure he studied, but he didn't wait to start proclaiming the gospel to other people. He didn't say, you know, I've got to go explain this to my family first. He immediately went out and started preaching. And understand, again, put this in the context of the time, the Jews, who again, had a lot of power in the Roman Empire, the Jews would have considered him a traitor. That's a word we don't like to use very often. It's a very strong word. But a traitor. They were seeking to kill him from the minute he started preaching. Everything that Paul had been brought up to believe, everything that Paul knew, his family, his friends, he has just learned that they're wrong. He has just seen the truth. He's obeying the truth. And now he's going out showing godly works. He's preaching and teaching others. Immediately he's doing that. Not worried about what his his friends are going to think. Not worried about what the people in the synagogue are going to think, what the Jewish leaders are going to think, how they're going to view him. You know, he came to this city to kill people, to put them in jail. And he's putting himself in that exact same position now. But he understood the need to show godly works. He understood the need to act on what he had learned. And, of course, I think we all know the book of James, chapter 2, where James tells us in verse 14 of chapter 2, What is a prophet, my brethren, 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? A brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Again, it's great that we know what the truth is. It's great that we've obeyed the truth. But without works, without godly works, without demonstrating our faith by our works, our faith is dead. Do we understand the urgency in showing works, in doing those good and godly things? Do we understand how important it is? Do we understand that without those works, our faith is dead? In Matthew chapter 25, <coughs> Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, Jesus is teaching that the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. What's the king saying there in that story? The king is saying, I know who my people are. I know who the righteous are because of the works they've done. What's Jesus going to say? What's God going to say on Judgment Day? Did you show any works? Did you show your faith by your works? Can the people that were around you say that they knew you were a Christian because of what you said, the way you acted, the words you spoke, the way you dressed? Showing godly works. Do we understand the urgency in showing those works? And finally, do we understand the urgency to share these things with other people around us? You know, if you've been in our Sunday morning class, we've been talking about this a lot lately. We've been talking about it a lot as our gospel meeting comes up starting next week. Do we understand the urgency in sharing the gospel with others? If you look at John chapter 4. <coughs> John chapter 4. There's a woman here 
coming to the well to draw water. And you can go into a lot of detail on the woman and the kind of woman that she was, how she was probably ostracized by the society she was in, which explains why she was at the well in the middle of the day. The woman who was not what we would consider a moral woman or a righteous woman by any stretch. She had a number of husbands, and the man she was with at that time was not her husband. But Jesus spoke to her, started teaching her. She heard the truth, and what was the first thing she did? She dropped that water pitcher and ran back to the village and started finding those people who, by the way, had ostracized her and treated her poorly, started finding those people and saying, hey, you'll never guess who I found. I found the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. That woman didn't understand everything that Jesus had taught her. Surely didn't know everything there was to know after that one meeting at the well with Jesus. But she understood enough to know that she'd found the truth that she was going to need to obey that truth and that she needed to share that with the people in her village. She dropped everything and took off running for that village. She understood how important that message that Jesus had was. In Luke chapter 16, Hold you, I'd probably start coughing. Okay. Luke chapter 16. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong passage. Luke 16. Jesus tells a story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, he's a rich man, lived very well, wore nice clothes, ate a lot of really nice food, never wanted for everything, anything. And there's a beggar who sits at the gate to the rich man's house. The poor man has nothing and is so destitute. I think they describe, the scriptures describe him as the dogs licking his sores. How how destitute, how sick this man is. They, um, they die, and the rich man, in verse 23, is in torments and Hades, lifts up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. The rich man, realizing he's not going to get any relief for his suffering, then says, in verse 27, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. In that story, this rich man is suffering, suffering greatly, more than any of us can imagine. And as he's, he's suffering, he's got some concern for his family that's left behind. He says, hey, got to go help my family. And in the story, Abraham says, no, they have help. They have Moses and the prophets, which for the Jews would be the Old Testament. That story tells us, among other things, that you already have what you need to know to be saved. I mean, that's part of that story. Those five brothers that the rich man refers to already have everything they need to be saved. Today, part of everyone having everything they need to be saved is you and I. It's us sharing the gospel with those around us. Okay? When our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and our family, when they go to Judgment Day, are they going to be able to say, you know, Kurt never said this to me. Kurt never told me what he knew to be true. Kurt never shared the truth with me. Are they going to be able to say that? Do we understand the urgency of sharing the gospel with those around us? Do we understand that we you and I are the way that others get taught. And sometimes we're the only way others get taught. In Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those for an opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What does Paul say that a servant of the Lord must be willing to do? Willing to teach. In chapter 4, in verse 2, he again tells Timothy, be ready to preach in season and out of season. Be ready to share the gospel. Understand how important it is that you share the gospel with those around you. We've talked about having a sense of urgency for searching out the truth. Not accepting what we're told. 
but searching for it. Studying, learning it, and then obeying that truth, doing what we know to be right. Talks about the urgency in showing godly works. Not just believing it, not believing the scripture, not simply being baptized, but showing and demonstrating our faith by our works. And finally, the urgency, the importance of sharing that with those around us. Once we know what that truth is, do we have a sense of urgency in sharing it with everyone around us? You know, my uh, <clears throat> Abigail was talking to me the other day, and she had uh, heard from somebody, uh, one of the kids at school, about the earth ending and, and all this, and, and this, this child had somehow got it into his brain that uh, the earth was going to end in about five years. Of course, his children are. She's like, Dad, is that true? About five years left. And, you know, she and I talked about, you know, the passages that talk about, you know, the, the end coming as a thief in the night and what that means. And what that means for us. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, always being obedient. Because we don't know when the end is going to come. We talk about always being faithful and doing what we're supposed to do because we don't know when the end is going to come. We also need to talk about sharing the truth with others because we don't know when their end will come. Sometimes it's not about us. Sometimes it's about our friends because they don't know when their end will come. And we take the opportunities that were presented to us to teach them or to share the gospel with them. If you're here this morning, I urge you to look at your life, to look at where you go, where you spend your time, and examine whether or not you've been living your life with a sense of urgency. Examine your life. Examine the, you know, your relationships with the people around you. Examine what you've been doing. Do you understand the urgency in living as God would want you to live? Your urgency in obeying the truth. Your, the, the urgency necessary that we should feel and sharing the gospel with others. You have that in your life. Because you need it. And not just for your sake, but for the sake of those around you. You need that sense of urgency. This is important. This is very important. There's nothing more important than this. And the question is, do you understand that? And you act on that.